Hey, I'm Daddy, and this is Daddy as Fuck, a throw-it-all-at-me discussion about poly, kink, DDLG, and BDSM, with an emphasis on power exchange through the eyes of a soft DDLG dynamic. You'll hear stories, opinions, and perspectives as we journey through an alternative way of life, what has worked, what hasn't, and thoughts about how to manage choices on a path less taken. So thanks for joining us today, and let's get going down the bunny hole. Hey, it's Daddy. In today's episode of Daddy as Fuck, I'm discussing relationship labels. Whether you're monogamous, open, polyamorous, non-monogamous, or spectacularly ambiamorous, you can't escape the labels we're all taught to use when defining our very first relationships. Also on today's episode, voices in submission. Should a submissive just shut up and take what's given to them? But what about their wants, needs, and desires? How much voice does the submissive have in your relationship? And I'm going to examine the role of my baby girl's voice in our dynamic. If you have any questions, comments, and suggestions, send them to daddy underscore af at comcast.net. Remember, there's no better way to make sure I stick around than showing support with a donation, subscription, or even a rating. So let's get on down the bunny hole. Relationship labels. They're all around us. TVs, movies, social media, and our own lives. Societal norms are such that we're all likely familiar with the same basic relationships. Topping the charts are mom, dad, husband, wife, brother, sister, boyfriend, girlfriend, fiancé, and of course, ex, some of the above. These are the labels we know the most because these are the most prominent labels that define the relationships that we see permeating most cultures of the world as we know it. In this episode, I'm going to focus primarily on the labels that have to do with partnering up and having romantic or sexual relationships. Although, the family labels are interesting, and we certainly can have fun with them. Right? Daddy? Wink, wink. So let me tell you a little funny story. I was hanging out with my brother, and uh, I may have shared in a prior episode that my brother also identifies as a daddy and is uh, dating someone, I guess, is a proper widely accepted nomenclature for what's happening between the two of them. (laughs) He's dating somebody who identifies as his baby girl. And uh, my brother and my cousin and I were all hanging out, and we were talking about these alternative relationships. And my cousin is has his uh, both feet up to his ears in alternative relationships as well so it just kind of dawned on me as I was sitting there listening to the two of them I says hmm wait a minute if if I'm baby girl's daddy and you're my brother does that make you her uncle (laughs) so I told baby girl and we had a laugh and I I told her flat out I said no all seriousness you're calling him uncle from now on and she said okay daddy (laughs) so now my brother said that his baby girl is calling me uncle (laughs) so you can have fun with those family relationship labels but for today let's let's just look at the romantic ones and how when we look at um, society and we try to define relationships that we have these certain labels that we fall back on And these labels, they don't start out as insidious. You know, they're some of our first exposures to love and relationships. 
Not many of us are born or raised to understand the nuances of metamors and primaries and the intricacies of the polyamorous, non-monogamous lifestyle, much less understand the nuances and concepts like polyfidelity and open relationships with closed networks. Sometimes you just live your life into a corner and now have to mash up names of familiar things until something kind of sounds right, like a liger. Little shout out to Napoleon Dynamite there. It's easy to use relationship labels to identify typical relationships. You know, quote-unquote vanilla relationships. Someone has a boyfriend, someone has a girlfriend, someone has a fiancé, someone has a husband, someone has a wife, and they're living a monogamous relationship. Typical relationships. You can even understand someone having a couple of boyfriends if they're young and dating. So, you know, wouldn't be atypical for a young guy to have... A couple of girlfriends that he's dating, or a couple of boyfriends that he's dating, or whatever. Uh, a couple of partners, period. Because they're young, and they're trying to figure out what they want, right? It's acceptable in those circumstances. But as you get older, the world kind of expects you to act and feel like the rest of the adults. When are you getting married? How long have you guys been together? Oh, I thought you were engaged. And the dreaded, when are you having kids? And just please join us in our quote-unquote misery. This would be right about the time when relationship labels start turning insidious and closing in around us, crowding us, choking us, and forcing us into submission. You must follow the way. And I guess that normal is just fucking relative at this point. If you find life takes you down a path where, oh, I don't know, for instance, that you're married and you have a deep and serious, meaningful polyamorous relationship with another man and you also have a deep and loving um, DS dynamic, <clears throat> like a baby girl with daddy, is he really your boyfriend? How can he be? What does that even look like? Isn't boyfriend the thing you have before that person becomes your fiancé and then your husband? You already have a husband, so how do you have a boyfriend? Are you cheating? Relationship labels. So let's take a look at an eye-opener that Daddy had recently. After publishing my pilot episode and Baby Girl had a chance to listen to it, she gave me some incredibly valuable feedback. We were texting one day, and I said, Plus, I just want the world to know us. Of course, I had to bring up my girlfriend at the sandbar yesterday. She replies, I feel safe with you too, Daddy. It's scary, though. You said that once or twice on Monday, having such strong feelings can be a little scary. I want you to know that I feel that too. I love that you tell folks you have a girlfriend. Actually, that was one of the things that gave me pause in the podcast. You said that you are single and dating a married woman. Do you feel single? Do you feel like we are dating? I'm not challenging, but curious, because I don't know, but I guess I don't really think of you as single. I think of you, of us, as in a relationship, partnered, my reply. Yeah, I was struggling with that terminology labels. What I meant was not married, so by default I guess that left single? I was trying to figure out how to word it from a poly context, as in not married, but in a poly situation vis-a-vis -vis dating a married woman, hence making it a polyamorous relationship. 
The intersections of context twisted me up, but I most certainly do not feel single in the relationship sense. That always bothered me when I was young and I was engaged. At family weddings, they would say, all the single guys come up, and I was always pushed up there. I would say, I'm not single. People would say, yes, you are. You're not married yet. And I would say, but my fiance's sitting right over there. And they would say, are you married? And I would say, no, we're not married yet. Then they'd say, well, you're single. Get up there. Continuing my reply to baby girl, I said, in my mind, I'm in a relationship with you. You are my partner. In fact, I feel like you're my only partner at times because of how much you put into us, which is so amazing. So yeah, I will have to revisit that. It was definitely not accurate in my attempt to be black and white. She replies, No, I felt like you were defining yourself by society's norms rather than by the definitions you slash we want to create. And I said back to her, correct. And here we are. So that was me falling back on the labels that I learned when I was very, very young. And even though I've been through an additional 20-something years of experience in alternative lifestyles, and I can navigate those alternative lifestyles emotionally and uh, mentally, here I am still falling back on the terminology that society taught me when I was 19 years old. I have a girlfriend, and I am in a committed relationship. And that committed relationship feels just as strong as any of the monogamous relationships that I was in that led up to marriage. Just because baby girl and I are in a polyamorous relationship doesn't mean the feelings and thoughts I have about our relationship aren't similar to or even the same as if I was monogamous. Monogamous isn't any gold standard of what love is or should be. Like, oh, this love is just as strong as monogamy, therefore it's really, really good, right? No, love is love. And I've loved in monogamous relationships. I've loved in polyamorous relationships. I've loved while I was married. I've loved while I was single. And I'm just in love. And I'm committed to the partner that I'm in love with. And our situation is our situation. And that's where labels kind of fall off the edge because they don't necessarily capture the life that we're living and creating together. So we do our best. So here's another little story to illustrate how perspective plays a role in labels as well. Baby girl recently had a casual hookup come back around and contact her. And she messaged him back and said, I have a serious boyfriend now, so I'm not going to be able to meet up. And he said, oh, okay, well, good luck, and I'll talk to you later. Not too long after that, baby girl was having a conversation with her husband, and they were doing some basic relationship housekeeping. And she was explaining to him how the casual contact came back around, and she told him that she had a serious boyfriend now. And her husband goes, Wait, serious boyfriend? Is that what you're calling him now? He's your boyfriend? And she said, well, that's probably the terminology that this guy could wrap his head around. So now I'm looking at that conversation and I'm thinking, hey man, look at that. One relationship label, serious boyfriend, set off three different interpretations. Baby girl and I are filled with warm, fuzzy feelings for love and appreciation of what we're creating and building, because that's what it represents to us, because that's what we're calling what we have. And to her husband, it raised a point of curiosity about 
you're calling him your boyfriend now. How does that fit in and how does that redefine our marriage and how does that look and work and feel because you're married to me but you're calling him your boyfriend and to the casual contact it was a shot across the bow to pretty much say I'm not available anymore to hook up with you. One relationship label, three different interpretations based on context and perspective. Interesting. Not only that, but when you combine that with how relationship labels have these traditional definitions and how they influence our view of our relationships through how we were raised and how we were taught relationships to be, there's a lot to deconstruct here. But for now, it's enough to know that these illustrate how when it comes to relationships, the outside world has a narrow definition of our relationships based on the terminology that we use. And, you know, we're only willing to explain so much, right? Because it's our private business. But inside relationships, especially these non-traditional ones, those same labels that we're co-opting and redefining mean something completely different. So when you rub up against relationship labels in the world, whether it's having trouble finding the right words to describe your dynamic or finding the right words to represent yourselves to the outside world or even when you're rubbing up against the perception of others on the outside looking in when they know nothing about your relationship, just hold on to the knowledge that all that matters is what you and your partner are creating. Let's talk about outgrowing the normative which is really something we can only do inside of our relationships. Because let's face it, the world around us needs to have some form of standard definitions. And so many people in the world right now, and rightfully so, are working very hard to add definitions to the normative, to make what is now non-normative acceptable across a wide spectrum of different types of relationships. And really, that's what's happening right here in this podcast. So one thing that comes to mind from the examples in the last segment about how even I was using labels in a normative context and um, putting those labels on myself when I felt differently, not realizing that uh, the labels I was using was, you know, pretty much creating a different view than the one that I felt about my relationship. Uh, and then there's the fact that you can ha have one word or one relationship and have multiple perceptions of that relationship from the outside looking in, depending upon who's looking at that relationship. You know, you put those two things together and it's easy to see that relationships are unique. You know, I come together with baby girl and we create something unique that is comprised of her life experience, wants, needs and desires with my life experience, wants, needs and desires. It's something that only she and I can create. Just like in your relationships, it's something that only you and your partner can create. We're different with different people. I've had two marriages and a serious girlfriend inside of one of those marriages and also dated along the way. 
And every single person I've been with, I've had a different experience of myself in the world because relationships are unique and where we find different aspects of our personality are highlighted when we are interacting so closely with someone that we come to care about. But even though relationships are unique, the words that we use around them are not. And we have to be cautious about how language has the tendency to limit us if we're not intentional in our life. Just like I said, hey, I'm single, but I'm dating a married woman. I'm not single. I'm in a deeply committed relationship with someone I love very much, and I'm choosing to focus on this relationship. And, you know, from the outside looking in, people are like, wow, what are you doing? You're, you're focusing on her, but she's married and she's focusing on you and her husband. You're getting the short end of the stick. Well, no, I'm not getting the short end of the stick because my experience of this relationship is in fact stronger and more connected than any of my other relationships that look quote unquote normal from the outside world looking in. And if we take the time to consider how our relationships look from the outside world looking in and we let that influence our choices, well, I know where that leads. So we have to think about outgrowing the normative, especially in these non-normative relationships, right? If we expand the use of normative labels in a non-normative context... We're applying the language we know to life situations that may be new to us as we explore. So really, how can we properly represent those to the outside world? It's almost like you have to turn a blind eye to the outside world and find the word that causes the least amount of uh, resistance in your life or the least amount of questions. Just find a way to present yourselves to the world and then not give a shit about what anybody thinks of it because you have what you have and that's all that matters. But if you do want to define what you have, then seize the labels that feel right to you and put your own meaning behind them. And if you have the strength and desire to explain those to people along the way that you feel are worth explaining them to, I encourage you to do it because that's only going to deepen your experience. You know, uh, I've often learned that um, if I teach something to someone, I understand it in a whole new way. And it's very similar when I sit down and try to explain my relationship to somebody. It washes over me in, in all new ways. And I get to experience it from their perspective as they comprehend it and ask questions about it. So I would encourage people to explore the non-normative by sharing their situation with people that they trust. And it may lead to some greater understandings and breakthroughs and how to relate what you have that may not fit into the definitions of the labels that we were brought up with or the definition of the roles that society has for specific relationships, you may find that what you have clicks into place as you find new ways to describe it. It does get confusing at times um, to have such strong feelings with some for someone and have a, such a strong connection and a strong relationship with someone that looks nothing like 99% of the ones around me. Um, and I'm constantly confronted with conversations where I need to figure out the least confusing way to present my relationship, depending upon who I'm talking to, you know, so like at work or a social scene or friends or family, you know, how do I represent what I have to them? 
in a way that's going to cause me the least amount of anxiety and stress. You know, I'm pretty open, so I pretty much will tell most people like at work, I don't need to get into it. But with friends and family, I'm pretty open because, you know, as they want to include me in their life and they want to include the person that I love in my life and they say, hey, bring bring your girlfriend or hey, bring a plus one. It's like, well, my relationship doesn't necessarily have the temporal uh, and, and logistical flexibility that allows me to call her up and say, hey, let's go to this barbecue on Sunday. Um you know, we, and, and we accept that. And that's a part of what we're building. And we build from that place. So it doesn't even feel like a limitation. Um, you know, sometimes we both have the craving to stretch ourselves past those limitations. And, you know, I think that will come in time. I really do. But right now we accept that because that's that's the place we've been building from. But I'd like to share my relationship situation with the people around me because I don't want to feel that disappointment, that sadness, that anxiety, that added pressure. I don't want society to press down upon me and make me feel bad about my situation because I can't conform to the world around me. So I just tell the world around me, hey, this is what I'm doing and this is how we manage our relationship. So, um, you know, nope, she's not always available and, and that's that's okay. Point being is that as you seek to outgrow the normative, you will intentionally develop a perception of your relationship for yourself and one that you share with the outside world that resonates. And it will resonate in such a way um, as, as, as you share it with the world, it will reflect back to you perceptions that not only make you feel good about what you're doing and how you're sharing yourself with the world, but more importantly, they won't make you feel like you're doing something wrong. And if people do make you feel like you're doing something wrong after making all that effort, well, then fuck them. You see, labels and norms are like a yardstick. They're going to follow you around and they're going to be dying to measure something. They're going to be dying to categorize you. It can be a real mind fuck when you're up in your head about it, too. And trying to make sense of it all is just a catch basin of comparisons. I don't have to compare what I have to 99% of the lives around me because 98% of those are fucked up anyway, and I love my life. Personally, that just makes me feel like I'm doing something right because I don't look like 99% of the relationships around me. But don't get me wrong, at times it can present anxiety and it can present hardship until I remember that it works. And who gives a fuck? what it looks like from the outside. That was a lot of food for thought. So let's break it down with some questions. How have relationship labels challenged your relationships? Where have you rubbed up against their limitations? Where have you run into other people's perceptions of your relationship not quite fitting what you feel is the life that you are living? Have you ever had a situation where you were challenged to define your relationship with traditional confining terminology? What did you do in that situation? And if you didn't do anything, what would you do in that situation? Have you ever been in a situation where you just threw your hands up and said, I don't know what the fuck to call it, but it works. You'll know you're well on your way to relationship anarchy when that day rolls around, let me tell you. 
I can't count the number of times with family early on when I first came out about being polyamorous and non-monogamous and all of the above that I just threw my hands up and said, you know what? It makes me fucking happy. and I'm sorry you guys can't wrap your head around it. What kinds of relationships do you have right now? And how do they measure up against society's norms? If they are a little bit outside the box and you're cutting your own path through the woods, how do you reconcile that with the world around you? If you don't have a non-traditional relationship, how do you feel about the impact that these labels and expectations have on those that want to love outside the norm? Are you open with everyone about your relationships or does traditional norms cause you to think about how you explain your relationship to different people like family, friends, co-workers, and strangers? And what do those differences look like and what's your motivation for choosing different ways to explain your relationships? Good questions. And if you're going to bust the confines of the normative, it pays to take a good hard look at your relationship and decide for yourself, what does this mean to me? And what am I going to share with the world? Baby girl's voice. Let's talk about the submissive's voice in our dynamics, shall we? So I'm going to read um, a writing that I did based on one of the uh, earlier meetings that I had with baby girl. Um, This is uh, one of the times we had gotten together when we were just starting out our dynamic. So she was coming over to my house and um, we were standing there in the living room. And this this is... I'm going to read from the writing, but this is what happened. I said to her, I want you to do something for me. Okay, what is it? She inquired eagerly, but with curiosity. I want you to go into the bedroom. There's something on the pillow. Bring it to me. No sooner did the last word escape my lips and she was agreeing enthusiastically and disappearing across the threshold. Holy shit, she's eager to please, I thought as I stood up quickly from the couch. I wanted to be in a certain place when she returned, so I went and stood over by the wood stove. And she was taking longer than it should have, and I had a suspicious feeling. Don't read it. Bring it to me, I barked at her, knowing that she'd likely already finished half a page of the contrived document. A moment later, she exited the room, eyes locked on the folded piece of paper as she walked it over to me. I already maneuvered myself in front of the wood stove. Come here, I beckoned, reaching out my arm. She came to me, and I pulled her close. I don't do contracts, I revealed to her. I want to learn you through what we experience. I want us to get to know one another without limitations, rules, and boundaries. I want us to be free to explore this however we choose. Continuing, I turned toward the flickering flames on the other side of the wood stove's glass door. And I said, here, and bent down to open the stove door. I turned back toward her and grabbed a page and tossed it onto the flames. Now you burn the rest. She stepped forward and threw the rest of the contract on the fire, and it was quickly turned to ash. I closed the door to the stove and rose up slowly, a hair's width from her face. Now go get on that bed, I growled. So I wanted 
baby girl and I to shape our own dynamic. This was one of our earliest meetings. I know contracts in the in the BDSM lifestyle are very common and, and they're great for guiding a dynamic, you know, especially, you know, one that is very, very heavily steeped in power exchange and they can be very useful. But I didn't want the limitations, you know, it's not my style necessarily and it, there's nothing wrong with it at all. But I wanted her and I to bump the edges and find our way without the limitation of agreeing to something we haven't explored yet. And that's, I really want to emphasize that point. I did not want to limit us by agreeing to something that we haven't even explored yet. And that's why her voice is so fucking important to me. By allowing a voice to baby girl... It's not about her taking over control for me or wrestling with me for it. It's about creating something through our dynamic together. I can pose a blow-up doll any way I want and beat her till she breaks and she'll take everything I have to give and never complain. I could probably do the same thing to baby girl. But the experience will be the same every time. And it's probably going to last so long because the growth potential of doing the same thing over and over and over again is very limiting. I want a partner to grow with. I want to grow something that we both enjoy. So I need her voice. Now I'm going to read you a text exchange from something that uh, we shared not too long after that. So this is what I wrote to her. FYI, I love, love, love that you ask for a specific tie around your neck when we were playing the other day. I'm so happy you have a voice in what we have. It's a different kind of DS and one I think we both crave. She replies, I'm sitting in my car reading your messages and just grinning ear to ear. I love that I have a voice in our dynamic, Daddy. I love that I feel comfortable enough with you to ask for what I want. And you don't resent me for somehow undermining your domliness. You embrace my ideas, from the necktie to asking you to fuck me from behind to how to deep hit an avocado. All of it just continues to show me that you're comfortable enough with yourself with your dominance, and with us to not be threatened by my ideas. And that is just so precious to me. That, that right there. I mean, I've always had an instinctual response with baby girl ever since the moment we met and I shook her hand and I looked into her eyes and said to myself, ah, fuck, here we go. My gut has led the way. And we've actually talked about that too. And I've said, you know, I wasn't sure what to do, but I just followed my instinct and she gives me all the reinsurance in the world and she says, Always follow your instinct. So far, your gut has been spot on. And my gut has told me from day one that I want this girl's voice to guide us next to and equal to my own. And we can put the equal aside when the dynamic kicks in. And I definitely have no problem taking control of her. And she needs me to. She needs me to. But what we have created has been done with each of us having a voice every step of the way. I still own her. And part of me still wraps my head around that because that's something that I feel for me expands over time. Ownership. I've never owned anybody before, but I really am enjoying the journey of learning what it's like to own somebody. She is my possession and I use her as I see fit. And there's plenty of times where she gives over completely and submits to my will, but I demand a voice in those times where she would be enduring for my sake, especially. I would much rather she use her voice and we nudge the experience just a bit so it's something we can both enjoy and hence better connect through. And you know, don't get me wrong, there's times when I have 
bent her to my will and used her. And I knew that she, it's not what she would necessarily have chosen for our time together in that moment. But at the end of it, she had such a deep appreciation for having been of service to me and having me use her so confidently and just taking what I wanted. Now, if I do that every time and disregard her wants, needs, and desires, our relationship is going to start looking a certain way and it's going to become more of what I want and I want what serves us both. So baby girl's voice is a huge asset to me in developing our dynamic. In connection with the importance of baby girl having a voice, I want to take a look at communication norms as well, because what do we do with our voices when we do communicate in our relationship? So I'm going to read a quote from a book that I really like, More Than Two, by Eve Rickert and Franklin Vaux. And this is about communication and relationships, and there's a little bit of DS context in here too, so here we go. Another barrier to communication is the notion that there are certain ways people in a relationship should be, so there's no need to talk about it. If he really loves me, of course he will know to do thus and such. Why won't he do thus and such? Everyone knows this is part of a relationship. It must mean he doesn't love me. Yet another of these emotional barriers is the common trap of thinking in generalities and allowing them to take precedence over the specific details of the people in the relationship. As one possible example, Everyone knows that men love getting head, so that means I don't need to ask him how he feels about oral sex, because men love getting head. If he tells me he doesn't want me to go down on him, that must mean I'm doing it wrong and I'm bad at it. If a relationship involves some element of consensual domination and submission, people can fail to communicate because they believe submissives should simply accept whatever the dominant partner wants. Or they may believe submissives shouldn't have a say in their relationship because submissives like to do whatever they're told and never ever voice their own needs. Some people take this to such an extreme that they even believe submissive partners in DS relationships shouldn't have needs. Almost always, communication tends to be the most difficult precisely when it's the most important. As relationship coach Marsha Basinski has put it, if you're afraid to say it, that means you need to say it. And this is what daddy always says, if you can't talk about it, then you probably shouldn't be doing it. We'll touch on that in another episode. Continuing on, when we are feeling the most raw, the most vulnerable, most scared of opening up, those are the times we most need to open up. We can't expect others to respect our boundaries and limits if we don't talk about them, or worse, pretend they don't exist. It's a bit of a paradox that even as open communication makes us feel vulnerable and exposed, it's essential if we are to protect our boundaries from being violated. We can't expect others to respect our boundaries if we pretend they don't exist. We've been asked whether talking about everything takes some of the mystery out of a relationship. We find that question surprising. We are all, every one of us, complicated and dynamic and always changing, and relationship dynamics are filled with mystery as it is. There's no need to invent more. There's easily enough mystery between two people to fill many lifetimes, even when they're both paying very close attention and are as honest and transparent with one another as it's possible to be. Relationships based on honesty and transparency, in which the people really pay attention to each other and work to see and understand each other, are more subtle and profoundly complex than relationships that avoid this kind of honesty and knowledge. The more you get to know a person, the more you find that there is to know. 
and we're all moving targets. We change every day. There will always be new things to learn, no matter how much we communicate. That's a great quote, right out of more than two. So by allowing for a voice in our dynamic, we're choosing to create something that we both adore every step of the way. We're stripping away fears and insecurities and replacing them with open communication. Fear and insecurity is still there, but we talk about that in conjunction with whatever comes up, instead of letting those fears and insecurities prevent us from communicating. The few times baby girl has hesitated about sharing something out of fear or insecurity or maybe being a little uncomfortable, I have lightened the mood by reminding her, you know, I taught you how to use an anal bulb, and after some of the things we've done to each other, I think we passed the point of holding back because we might be a little uncomfortable a long time ago. As the quote from More Than Two is saying, there's a lot of layers to relationships and us as individuals. They're constantly shifting, like layers of an onion. You keep peeling them back, and they keep growing. It's a process of constant discovery. You can't stop. If you do, and your partner keeps growing, then what? How many times have you heard someone say after a breakup or a divorce, Oh well, I guess I have to accept we just grew apart. Why do you think that's so common? Once you're secure in a relationship, there's no need to perform the mating ritual anymore. It may not be giving up, but it certainly does represent a level of comfort that's achieved, and then you're complacent. So that will haunt you. I know. It's happened to me. Twice. And I know exactly why. Don't get me wrong. I mean, most relationships don't last forever. And if they do, really, how healthy are they? More often than not, people in long-term relationships are choosing to stay together for reasons other than the fact that they truly do enjoy the company of one another. And sometimes they do, but I feel that is honestly very rare. Relationships end, and that's okay. Just because something ends does not mean it failed. And that's not just something we tell ourselves to help us sleep at night after our divorce. It's a fact. That just because a relationship ends does not mean it failed. Now, we may fail our partner and how we conduct ourselves in our relationship, especially if we don't have compassion when things are ending. And we certainly can fail one another in relationships, and we're going to talk more about that. But even in doing our best at peeling back the layers, sometimes we realize all the sooner that, yeah, this just isn't for me anymore. I still love you, but life is short, and we both deserve more. In my case, as I shared in prior episodes, that's happened to me twice, like I said a few moments ago. In looking back, I can see how I contributed to that ending being a surprise on my part. Even though I agreed the ending was for the best in the long run, the end to both of my marriages came as a surprise in the moment. Just as I surprised my ex-girlfriend by ending our relationship three years ago. The ending was a surprise to me because I gave up the discovery process once I reached a level of perceived security. That robbed me of a deep and rich experience compared to the coasting that I settled for. And we might not have made it anyway, but perhaps I would have seen it coming, or I would have been less stressed about it in maybe a more mutual ending. Because we're constantly growing and changing through life. There's so many transitions from birth to old age. If we want to get the best out of our relationships while they last, we have to continue peeling back those layers, even as they regrow. You may know someone today, but as they grow and change, if you think you know them and they're changing, then you're missing out on opportunities to connect and grow together, or even realize that things are ending together. That's why I cherish my submissive's voice, 
because I care immensely for my baby girl and I need to know her, all of her, every day, even as she's growing and changing. I need to know her needs today, not baseline her based on what she needed yesterday or last week or last month or last year. The baselining that I mentioned in episode two, that I'm committed to knowing her and learning her, it's not about predictive modeling. I don't use my baseline of her to say, oh, I know how she's going to react to that. I baseline her to know if she's centered in her best self today. And if not, I treat every situation just like it's the first time. Just because baby girl's having anxiety, I'm not going to simply dismiss it as, oh, you're having anxiety today. I know how to handle that. I know exactly where that's coming from. I'm going to want to know what is happening in her life at that exact moment so I can find a way to get her back on her feet and centered in her best self. So my baseline tells me that she's off her feet. And then from there, it's a brand new experience. And it may be the same set of circumstances over and over again. But that's where the baselining stops. And regardless of the circumstances, I treat it as a brand new situation every single time. Because that's what she deserves. My full attention. I don't want to risk missing a need that gets supplanted by assumption. The moment I assume that I don't have to peel back that layer of the onion is the moment that I may miss a direction that she's growing in or a new challenge that's presenting the same symptoms. And I can't risk that. Because as she moves through life, I'm right there with a hand on her neck experiencing it with her the best I can through her eyes, just as she does for me, knowing what her daddy needs most right now and seeking to please me. Now I'd like to take a look at your dynamic. Let's ask some questions. How does your daddy value your feedback? And what feedback do you value from your baby girl or submissive? How does your communication guide your dynamic? Have you ever talked about that with your partner? And how you can create a tool out of communication that could impact the experience you have of your time together? Can you think of a time when your partner used a voice that positively impacted your experience in the moment? Did you talk about that afterwards? Did you notice it? Did you acknowledge how that communication impacted your relationship experience together? And what was your perspective versus your partner's? This is a good question. This question is just like kind of a little backhanded, but do you quote unquote know your partner? Like, do you know them? Like, hey, I know her. I know how she's going to react to that. I know what she's going to say. Or do you continue to explore what you think you know, regularly revisiting your dynamic and assessing how your relationship is developing in ways that might change how each of you internalizes the experience of being together? That's a, there's a lot in that question. I just want to raise some attention to that. If you know your partner... If you can sit here and say, I know my partner, okay, you, you know some things about your partner. You know likes and dislikes and probably a whole host of other aspects of your relationship. But if you sit on assumption that you know how your partner's going to react, you know what they're going to say, you know how they're going to answer that question, then you're giving up the chance 
to appreciate and understand how your partner may be growing and changing through time. By regularly revisiting your dynamic and assessing how your relationship is developing, you'll understand the ways that might change how you are each internalizing the experience of being together today, the day after, and the next. So if you know your partner, maybe consider that you don't and keep that exploration active. What are ways that you like to communicate in the moment? Afterwards, do you like to let things settle out for a few days and then talk about them? Is it hard for you to open up? If so, what is it that makes sharing yourself so hard? Have you ever talked to your partners about what it is that makes sharing hard? Because here's the thing, right? If you're afraid of opening up, you don't have to necessarily just do it scared and and be like, okay, everybody's telling me I should open up, so I should just do it. But you can get help and, and build intimacy by telling your partner, hey, I'm afraid to open up. And this is what I'm afraid of. And maybe get support building the trust you need to share yourself. So if it's hard for you to open up, I would definitely encourage you not to open up, but to talk to your partners about what makes opening up hard for you. And I guarantee you, they're going to have some stories about what makes opening up hard for them. And that's the seed of building trust and intimacy. So those are some questions about your dynamic and the voice of the submissive and what role voice plays in guiding the future of your relationship as well as your experience of it today. What's coming up next on Daddy As Fuck? What's Daddy gonna throw at ya? Episode 4, we're gonna talk about kink versus vanilla dating. Have you ever been fed up dating in the vanilla world as someone who knows and appreciates their kinky side? Have you ever met someone and were starting a relationship and you were just exploding to let them know all about your kinks but were afraid? I'm gonna give my first-hand account of examples about what I liked about dating in the kink scene versus dating in the vanilla world. And we're going to deconstruct the differences between the two approaches and the type of relationships that are likely to form as a result. And remember, questions, comments, and suggestions, you can email daddy at daddy underscore af at comcast.net. And as always, I appreciate donations. I appreciate if you subscribe to my podcast and I would love a rating. More than that, though, I definitely would love to hear from you. You might even make it on the show. See you next time on our trip down the bunny hole.